0: Welcome, everybody, to episode 14 of Required Reading, a film podcast. This podcast is about a film called Uncut Gems. I've been very looking forward to uh, talking about it and hearing what you think about it. And here with me, as always, is my sidekick, cohort, wonderful chap to talk to,
1: Dan. Sidekick now, am I? (laughs) Underling subservient to you. Good evening, Alex. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm very well. Um, Looking forward to discussing this. Discussing this one. It has been. Is this our first returning. It is. It is.
0: Definitely is our first returning directors, um, the Safdie Brothers. And we gave uh, a good time, uh, a McCartney. It's worth noting if you uh, go back It was and, a good time. It was a good time. And so, yeah, we've returned to their, their next project. To do the safety dance. Called Uncut Gems, starring Adam Sandler. Wh- what? what? Which, what? Oh, whoa, whoa, what? The guy from... Uh,
1: Billy Madison? Little Nicky? Happy Gilmore? Are you crazy? <sighs> what's the other one with the dad's that they did too old well for some reason. <laughs> I just remember it having all of his mates like Chris Rock. Yeah. And then occasionally celebrity women would look disapproving. Oh.
0: Men. Disapproving. Yeah, yeah. Basically
1: that's that's the
0: uh that's the title of it. Um and and I thought he was great. I mean, you know, well, let's get into it. Let's 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 take care of business first. First is welcome to uh, this podcast it has a slight rule to it uh, one that is you have seen the movie that we're talking about uncut gems available on netflix if you haven't watched it yet please go and watch it come back and then this will all make a bit more sense because we sort of talk through the whole film and we invited and we have invited others to contribute their thoughts also and um, yeah really looking forward to getting into this one so um, consider yourself warned um, but first off as always,
1: Dan, what did you think of Uncut Gems? It's always a very big question, isn't it? Uncut Gems is... Basically, if you watched Good Time uh, and you thought, a little bit too laid back for my taste, <laughs> the Taking it brothers easy. have the film
0: for you. <laughs> Don't take it easy, lads. Um, and and really dial it up. Dial it up to 11.
1: It's it's a very loud, angry, shouty film that's almost unrelenting in its aggressiveness. Yeah. It's agreed. Designed purposefully to convey and evoke the same sense of overwhelming stress, that feeling of constantly drowning. In your circumstances, yeah. So it's it's yeah it's it's stress colon the movie. Uh, I don't I don't think I've seen anything that has so effectively generated the same <laughs> feeling of stress and anxiety in the viewer. Purely because I think a lot of anxiety is driven by a, an overwhelming sense of helplessness. Yeah. And in good time, you are sat there watching someone just make a string of just bafflingly stupid decisions (laughs) to the point that you just want to reach into the screen Mm. and strangle the fuck out of him. That was my sensation. Yeah, yeah. Or, Or claw out your own eyes or something so you just don't have to deal with it. And every time you sort of think, oh, we can take a little breath here we can we can calm down we can you enjoy that <laughs> just does something else fucking stupid and so you're you're constantly dealing with this barrage of bad decisions yeah uh, and you have to sit there and take it it's about inevitability isn't it
0: whereas some filmmaking and some storytelling is about fate about affecting your path about making a choice and what would have happened if you didn't make that choice the Safdie brothers, the storytelling of Good Time, and this is more about destiny, about what's not supposed to happen, what about like what will happen anyway, and you you just have to deal with it, and it just feels like Connie, the the character, and Howard, uh, sorry, Connie, the character from Good Time, and Howard, the main character in this. Are in basically like life's water slide, and you can <laughs> you can splash to the side, and you can feel that you're slowing yourself down or speeding up under your control, but ultimately, you're going in the pool at the end, and and that's
1: it. And <clears throat> that's an excellent analogy. Yes, thank you very much. It's yeah, it, it's it's less a roller coaster. Roller coasters are um, circular; they're cyclical. Mm-hmm. Water slides have a very definite start. There's a lot of acceleration, and then there's a big splashdown at the end.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, with what happens at this film, just jumping straight to it, just a quick question. Did you see the end coming? Did you see what was going to happen at the end, or were you surprised? Uh,
1: I wasn't surprised. Yeah. Not really. Did you think it was going to happen, though? I thought he was going to... Car kit in some way, shape, or form. Um, You you didn't think that he was going to get away with the money. I'm, you know, of course,
0: referring to him being shot immediately after the door opening and the bet has come off, and
1: everything is great, and these guys are going to get their money. And yes, because ultimately he didn't deserve happiness. It felt (laughs) the. I think the film was actively. He's a very loathsome character. Howard's a very loathsome character. And so it's really challenging your ability to root for or sympathize with somebody. Somebody who's making a string of such terrible decisions. I think a lot of Hollywood filmers would then approach that in the way that, oh, but he manages to swing it at the end and it's all come good in the end. And the Safdie brothers are kind of saying... No, you can't get away with being constantly irresponsible and then be rewarded for being such Mm. an irritating prick who's really putting the welfare and the lives of so many other people in jeopardy through his addiction. There's there's clearly some form of addiction to gambling at the root of it, and that seems to have pervaded his entire existence. He's gambling with... Everything.
0: Well, that's what I mean about you know going back to the uh, inevitability part of it. It's of course he's you know addicted to gambling, but his problem lies a lot deeper, like a lot deeper than gambling. He is he has a compulsion. It's his nature to not be satisfied to to keep thinking about the next deal and the next sort of high of the next deal like he's addicted to the release of chemicals it gives yes. him. And that's what makes him so incredibly incredibly compelling uh, to watch uh, it and and so morals start to you know they really do waver and how and how you feel and uh, on how you feel about him what they did for me anyway and that idea of stress stress and anxiety that it invokes I thought it was really interesting that it didn't come from really obvious places. So I made like a really quick list of, of it. Example, the he gets the all clear from the colonoscopy.
1: Um yeah, Ju- so you, you immediately think there's gonna be something that callback. triggers yeah, the entire more stressed, thing. But you, the discovery of the polyp and you're like, Oh no. Yeah. And that's actually one of the few things that goes right it in. It goes life. right
0: for him. But no, quite a few things go right for him. Julia isn't cheating on him. Mm-hmm. You know, so we can get into that a little bit later. I really want to go talk about her her character a lot but she ultimately isn't cheating on him um you know all the bets that he makes come off like there's no like big loss or anything it comes from somebody cancelling the bet all the bets come off um no one tries to steal money from Julia at the end that's nope. another thing you know a, a, a trope that we thought that we w- you know would get
1: um creepy old man is ultimately harmless <laughs>
0: Where did they find that guy? He's amazing. Where did they find him. most of the guys? He's, he, his name is Wayne Diamond, and this is his first <laughs> acting credit. Of course
1: his name is Wayne Diamond.
0: He's he's just called High Roller in the credits, but right. yeah, his name is Wayne Diamond, um, of course. Um, and uh, yeah, it's the first thing he's ever done, uh, according to IMDb. you know. Um, but going back to my, my point, um, Kevin Garnett doesn't steal the gem. Like, they try and make something of him, you know, going off with it. Because he sees it as a totem, as, you think he's yeah. going to
1: insist on... Yeah, never giving it back, but to he it, does. Yes.
0: You know, so that, again, um, that does come back. Um, the wife isn't interested in reconciliation which again is... Uh, and w- let's come back to her character because uh, she was one of my favourites in the film. They don't dangle that carrot. They don't give Howard another chance to fall. No. Like, say she'd taken him back and he'd gone... And then Julia had popped back up again. You again would have thought there would be stress from that. But they don't even go there. Like, it's so far gone with, with the wife. And, and as I say, let's talk about her in a bit. And also, the conversation... The, the second conversation, the guy that ends up shooting him has—he says to him, "I'm going to kill you. In I'm you're you're dead. I'm going to kill you." When he gets accosted by uh, Kevin Garnett's, um security, yes, in the corridor, um, he says to him, "He says you're dead. Like I'm going to kill you," and he ends up killing him. You know, so the stress of of that, you know, it's it, it's He's really interesting. He's a man of his word. He's a man of his word, and it's really interesting to. You know how they played with that, and that's probably my favourite part of it. Is these things that happen came from different directions that you kind of were expecting, and then not, and the payoff of the things that did, and it was it was I, excellent. I mean,
1: yeah. yeah, I'm glad you've I'm glad you've said that because it clearly registered with me subconsciously. Because yes, everything you've listed, all the scenarios where I was holding my breath and going, "Oh God, something terrible's going to happen mm-hmm. here." and and it doesn't yeah so no you're absolutely right it does it does play with every convention every dramatic expectation or stereotypical dramatic expectation and draws and draws the tension from completely un, unexpected sources which throws yeah. you off guard constantly because it means you're always Looking for what's going to trip him up next and it's never the thing you think Mm. it's going to be and that unpredictability again plays into that. I think familiarity with the cliche of cinema often feels like a safety net from an emotional standpoint because you watch it and you go, okay, this is how it's going to play out and you feel comforted almost when it follows the safe road yeah this this goes off piste wildly Mm. constantly and and you feel completely lacking in control and that really adds to that constant sense of anxiety and having a sense of like i really don't know where this is going to go Mm. now some of the some of the most stressful aspects of the film are uh, uh, driven um sometimes purely by the the hustle and bustle of a scene yeah most films have a tendency to drown out the background audio so that you can always focus on what the lead characters are saying to each other yeah some some films or TV shows play with that so they'll go to a club and they'll subtitle it because of the sound of it. But it never—they never really accurately convey how anxiety-inducing those scenarios can be. The first instance for me was when he was in his shop, and all of Kevin Garnett's people are there, and everybody is talking. They're all having separate conversations, mm. and there's just a whole bunch of—and you're trying to tune it out to to listen to what the central conversation is. Yeah, uh, and that's something I encounter. On a, on a daily basis, I'm always trying to tune out various mm. things where it's a, either a number of other people or I've got TV on in the background or something like that. And that's something I don't think I've really seen effectively recreated on screen before. And this really does such a good job of it. Now, I, I should add to this that um, my wife deals with anxiety. Mm. She bowed out of the film about halfway through. Mm. She sort of said, oh this is stupid at one point I think it was when um, uh, was it Kevin Garnett and his entourage were sort of trapped in the security space and they're trying to get the magnets out and it all goes a bit curb your enthusiasm while Mm -hmm. they're trying to get it done she was like this is kind of the last straw for me Um, she still asked me the next day like well what happened how did it all turn out and I sort of had to relay the (laughs) ridiculous chain of events that ultimately leads to him getting shot but I do think, while part of it was was she said she was tired and you know just wanted to go to bed, I do think sometimes it it was close to the bone, right? In terms of those daily experiences, and I'd I'd be interested to know if anyone listening, because I don't know if that's come through in any of the feedback, but encounters any of any of these uh, issues in in real life mm. or has to cope with this. And how they found the portrayal of it in this film versus their their real life experiences. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think so that I'll throw in a um, a viewer comment here because um, Charlie Hurst, who uh, is, full disclosure is someone I, I work with, he actually works in sound design. Mm. So, well, you know, he's a sound engineer on on shoots that we do. Who described it as basically a two-hour anxiety attack i think from a sound perspective he's saying this i enjoyed a lot of the technical aspects of it the soundtrack was used to great effect heightening every twist and turn so yes in addition to the ambient sound Mm. adding to it you've then got this very unorthodox soundtrack uh in it they've we we discussed this earlier. They've returned to One Oh Tricks Point Never, who did the soundtrack for Good Time, operating under his real name Daniel Lopatin, and again did a great job. I'm I'm loving the increasing use of electronic musicians, warp artists in the creation of shows. Again, with um like the Watchmen soundtrack recently oh, yeah. with Trent Reznor and Atticus. Added a completely new dimension to that show. Mm. Um, I really like the work of uh, Disasterpiece, who I knew from his video game work initially on things like Fairs and Hyperlight Drifter. He did the soundtrack for uh, It Follows. Was the first film I saw where where he'd uh, he'd soundtrack yeah, it. That was excellent. And completely added to the slightly otherworldly nature of the the universe that that film occupied. That was recognisably. Earth-like, but operating on seemingly a parallel dimension in terms of <laughs> the, the technology and the presence of adults and things like that. So, I really enjoy that it shied away from a conventional score. You could see how somebody like Hans Zimmer may have scored this film. Yeah, yeah. It didn't go down that path. Mm-hmm. And again, I think it's another example of this of the Safdies trying to eschew convention at mm-hmm. every turn. Yeah. Uh, and doing so, like utterly successfully.
0: I think I, I I really agree. Um, so let's let's flip let's flip mode. Let's go to a slightly some negative thoughts about the film just to you know see see how they resonate with cool. us. Cool. Uh, this is um, from Megan, who I work with, and she says, uh, having watched the trailer and I liked Good Time, I was excited to watch the movie, but it fell short of expectation. I decided to watch until the end, hoping for the story to evolve more than the opening plot, and it just didn't go anywhere. Chaotic scenes with multiple characters shouting and cussing was hard to follow and exhausting to listen to. The profanity was OTT and too heavily relied upon. So then she goes into a few kind of questions. So um, the unfinished character plots, why was the weekend in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great question. Um, I think that was about, um, it was the, trying to get the 2012 across the line he was part of the so the club scene is very connected to the jewelry and diamond scene um in New York and some of the characters even played in the movie um his his girlfriend Julia was part of that scene and so the weekend was part of that in 2012 um they managed to convince him to do the movie and it sort of helped base the time and get and which helps the Kevin Garnett basketball story yeah um so so that footage will all marry up Um, there was
1: there was an overall sense of authenticity to a location and an era Mm. a lot of which i'll admit was completely lost on me (laughs) but i would also say the purpose of the weekend was not for the weekend but for julia because it was uh, as a show of his Howard's insecurities about her fidelity, mm. what she was getting up to with the weekend who was obviously trying it on with her. So it wasn't about him being there, it was what he represented in terms of Howard's own anxieties about Julia who he clearly loves. Mm. Which is another way that the the film Plays with convention. Yeah, you think she's the bit on the side, pretty mm. young thing that he's just having a dalliance with, and it's 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 a sex thing. Whereas we grow to discover there's a genuine affection between the two, despite him being such a reprehensible. Yeah, bag.
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, right. Ne- next question. Uh, so yeah, why was the weekend in the movie? It's for Julia, and set it in 2012. How much money did he owe his brother-in-law, friend, family member? Hundred thousand. Um, Hundred thousand. Um that could be the uh, too much talking over each other or something. Um why put him in the trunk of the car naked? What did this achieve? Which <laughs> is an interesting question. I watched it again after she'd given me these questions, pretty much to have a look at that at that bit. Okay. And I think it's just to like belittle him it's, like, humiliation it's, it's, to, it's to take away you know that the family member is obviously not going to kill him That's So it. what's the so what's the worst can do he knows he's at this family thing he knows he's going to have to explain this he knows that um you know he they don't know whether he's got another set of clothes he just happens to but for all they know he's going to have to walk back home naked and it's pretty much the most uh debasing thing they can do uh, um without without really hurting him or killing him
1: it's Ar- Arno, isn't it, his brother? Arno, yeah. Yes, so, yeah, I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head there. It's the idea that the ending speaks to that as well, because when um, the thug, I can't remember his name, shoots him, he's like, what the hell did you do that for? This yeah. was always just about keeping him scared yeah, and on his toes. Mm-hmm. So it was about humiliation and fear. Yeah, There was never, in his mind a point where he was going to... Was it brother-in-law, I think, the relationship yes, was? not that's right. Yes, I don't think there was ever a point where he was going to do the family dirty like that. Mm. Um, so, yes, it was just the ultimate humiliation in mm. the in the circumstances. And,
0: and, and interestingly, to, to, to Gry to digress slightly, is the tipping point of what probably pushed that guy to want to murder him is the altercation with Kevin Garnett's security that just pushed it over that edge. Like maybe it would have been more businesslike and maybe still violent, but the the fact that they were embarrassed there sets them off into overdrive of stress yes that you know for him only has one ending is i'm gonna fucking kill this guy you know so i I think that's um truck of the car naked i think to completely debase him Um, and you
1: did see that arno over the course of the film looked increasingly afraid mm, of the people he'd brought on board to yeah to 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 scare howard yeah definitely yeah he's not in control in the car no 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 he was over his head yeah at that point um
0: Then uh, the rich guy in the casino at the end who took a shower, irrelevant, is a kind of question and sort of a a statement. Um, I love that guy. Um, I think he definitely provides a sense of jeopardy to Julia. We don't know what's going to happen. What is she going to have to do? What is he going to do if she rejects him? And it's playing with our senses about man and woman and we've we've learned we've we've come around to julia by and that. also
1: that ongoing where's the jeopardy coming from this mm, time yeah. so it throws a lot of red herrings at you at the same time to make you go one of these is going to hit but i'm not sure which and 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 i must admit i thought at that point that something was going to happen to julia
0: like yeah that that um howard was going to be fine and something was going to happen to Julia, and then that would be the end. So yes. for me, that guy represents a another sort of manifestation of the destiny part of it. You know about the fact that you know they gen- he was a genuinely a nice guy that wanted to give her a you know yeah. a place to hide out for a second. And-,
1: <laughs> and 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 to be honest, that's a bit of a cliche that needed sidestepping anyway mm. because that's the whole fridging idea that a lady has to die or encounter exactly. some sort of terrible circumstance in order to motivate the the male hero. So that aspect of it was, was quite welcome that actually she was safe throughout that, always under threat and playing with... That's it. The idea of like, what does a man driven by desire hmm. in a film invites a lady up to a room who's already in danger, but she's... Run out of options, and you yeah. think, "Oh no, she's playing straight into his hands." Mm. But no, he was just a slightly sleazy, but ultimately nice old guy. Yeah, I,
0: I mean, I really enjoyed how she handled the men in her life. Julia Fox um, is a, her first movie. Um, they found really her, the yeah the Safdie brothers found her. Um, she was part of the club scene. She um, didn't have anything. She didn't work in a jeweler's or I think maybe she had before, but. Um, Yeah, she was a newcomer, and I thought that she absolutely um, stole the show. Uh, Playing against someone like Adam Sandler, you've really got to have your rooting in, um, you know, in reality and really know where you are in a scene. Otherwise, I think he can pull it all sorts of directions. Um, And uh, Kevin Garnett did a great job of being himself in a film and did a great job of that sort of eight-mile, for one of a better term, um, performance yeah well and to speak
1: to how little i knew about the people in it i didn't realize that kevin garnett was a real oh wow. nba <laughs> player because i thought he was <laughs> pretty convincing he was great, throughout the film really
0: great and uh yeah let's get on to the the, the side characters um in a second uh and to finish off uh, megan's point in summary waste of time and too hectic for me <laughs> um Uh, Let's circle back to another thing that she says there. Um, It's really, really made me laugh. A a 24-year-old talking about cussing in a film. (laughs) I thought that was quite funny. Sorry. Um, We're
1: we're we're circling back to a new puritanical era, I fear. (laughs) Um, No, but this, uh, uh, a fact, this
0: is in the top five movies with uses of the word fuck.
1: I was going to speculate about that, Yeah, actually. Because, yes, there were certain scenes where I was like, wow, they're just... They're just dropping it in like it's a, like it's a particle.
0: Yeah, yeah. The um the other ones, uh, for anybody that's interested, is um, Wolf of Wall Street, which is um, 569. Is Scarface, uh, one of them? Uh, no, uh, Summer of Sam is the next one. Okay. It's uh, these are long films. I, I, I hasten to say they are long films, so they've got more time to. Mm. Uh, to, to up, up the fuck factor. Up the fuck factor. <laughs> Summer of Sam. Uh, nil by Mouth. Four hundred twenty-eight. Fuck. Lots of those in. A, oh, fucking in a, hell. Fucking hell. Um, and Casino. Four hundred twenty-two. Um, so yeah, this was a four oh eight. With you know, up those numbers, but uh, relatively short. Uh, Runtime. This is uh, just oh, two over two time. hours. Yeah. Just over two hours, and Casino is is three. Summer of Sam is is is
1: up there. Who I m- knows? Maybe there's a director's cut. <laughs> oh my god! Out there, <laughs> it's just what the world needs. Well, um, we're well, talking of director's cut. Little side tangent. So you know, I, I do love to read the credits at the end and see if there's any unexpected cameos. And I saw. Um, I'm going to do her name a massive disservice here, but I think it's Pom Clementiev. Mm. who you'll know as uh, Mantis from Guardians of the Galaxy Uh 2. She was credited as a character called Lexus. Mm -hmm. I don't Um, remember seeing her in the film at all. I think
0: she's coming out of the apartment right at the start of the film. So that's it. She's one of the two girls. Mm.
1: Apparently, I'd read somewhere that there was a scene, a chase scene or something that she was part of Mm. where she had a slightly larger role, but that was ultimately... Cut for time, I imagine. But two other great names that are spotted in there were uh, Tilda Swinton. Mm -hmm. So she was the voice on the phone at the auction house. Was her name Anna? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then I also saw um, the lady from Russian Doll. Natasha Leone. Yeah. Who we talked about on the last podcast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah. uh, yeah, She was the um, Kevin Garnett's PR or the person that, yeah, uh, when he's half threatening and half asking. If he wants to buy it, and threatening him if he doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, I really love that. That phone call is really funny. Um, I do. I do love a good, celeb
1: voiceover cameo.
0: Yeah, it's a really good opportunity, isn't it? Mm. I Star Wars has obviously done it with the being a stormtrooper. Yeah. that's their you know trope that they can get people in, and and people being on phones in indie movies. And, yeah, yeah. And uh, Tilda Swinton. There's your obligatory Star Wars mention for the episode. We always mention it. It's a reference point. For life. Um, <laughs> I wanted to go back to the, the twist moment. So in Good Time, to to try and draw parallels between the two, the twist moment in Good Time is that he has uh, taken, he thinks he's take, broken his brother out of a hospital, but it's actually not his brother. That's yes. the kind of twist. Um, in this one, it's that Arno, who we've been hearing about, that we've been um, sort of seeing in shady versions is actually part of his family in the amazing uh, is it passover scene yes. which i really loved i love mechanics of kind of things and rituals and yeah you know, like habits and other people do that I, just, I really thought that was very cool um and just to see him giving him evils across the table just this real like and then there's a there's a quick thing in the bathroom isn't there where he um um, Howard's just coming out of the bathroom as as Arno's going in and he's like, oh, you're
1: not so tough without your friends and yep. kind of bashes the door and oh, I thought that was so great. There was also the the religious subtext there as well whereas Arno, I believe, was Catholic or mm-hmm. Christian who yeah. married into the family yeah. so he was surrounded by the, the Jewish family mm-hmm. so suddenly he was the one who was uh, not not under threat, but suddenly the the tables were turned momentarily mm. in that in that scenario.
0: Yeah, they were uh, they were all kind of taking the Mickey out of him slightly, weren't yes. they? Or they
1: could have, they obviously all
0: thought of him. You know, when they came to the auction house it was obvious that they hadn't even considered um, inviting Arno, you know, where the dad and the and the and the son yes. come to meet meet Kevin at the, they didn't even consider inviting him. He's just there and I don't even think they interact. It's it's they've obviously sort of half ostracized him. It's it's great. <laughs> and um again like Good Time, there's lots of assumed history uh, that's done really well just with a few words and a few looks and you, you know you, you really
1: get it I think yeah the, d- um, the dynamics are very well established efficiently established so
0: let's go to uh another um another contribution we have uh james buttress um who has sent us his thoughts his review for in essay form it seems his review for punch drunk gems see what he did there yeah Yeah, nice. Nice work. Um, (laughs) I've never seen anything quite like this before other than the Safdie's previous film, Good Time. And even that wasn't as manic and relentlessly unorthodox as uncut. Um, before this, I had never fully appreciated the art of sound mixing in that I don't think there was any. <laughs> everything, cranked, <laughs> everything cranked to 11. At times it felt there were two completely different scores being played simultaneously. It was discombobulating. It really put you in the room with all these hyper, fake and generally awful people. The for thin plot was just a vehicle into Howard's twisted and ever-optimistic mind, parlaying bad decision upon bad decisions. I hated him, and yet I wanted him to win. <laughs> For all its flaws, I really enjoyed it, I think. And Sandler was incredible. He, along with Egerton, were robbed of awards attention. Punch Drunk Love, Paul Thomas Anderson's masterpiece, hadn't been seen by enough people. Um, Sandler has done some absolute stinkers in his time, but Twice is not a fluke. He's one hell of an actor, and this is a must-see film. The Safties are here
1: to stay. Two exhausted thumbs up from me exhausted is the right word yeah it is very it, exhausting film. yes yeah, so i think when you because you saw this at the cinema initially mm. didn't you and then you said to me that you wanted to give it a rewatch before i recorded the podcast and i just replied i don't think i could <laughs> well what i wanted to try is the irishman i watched it
0: all in one go and then in in section to see whether it would affect the um you know the the tone of of the film and the irishman is is great for watching um in in segments. But, um, Uncut Gems definitely suffers if you if you split it up. Um, so you you have to kind of watch it, watch it in one. Oh time. yeah, I
1: can't I can't imagine because it's about the momentum and it's about escalation hmm. of the odds. That yes, if you were to suddenly interrupt that, filmus interruptus, then yeah, you would you would lose all of that acceleration. Hmm. Um, and then you'd find yourself really having to play catch up t- emotionally to, to put yourself in the same place you were when you when you left the movie last time. So yes, I, I can't imagine watching that in installments. Well, I,
0: I think I might have talked about it on another episode, but there's a um, psychology term when people are about to, about to fight. And it's called ramping and um it's there's there's a series of stages that um humans have when they're about to have a physical fight and it's um you know talking and talking over each other showing teeth physical you know and a bit of push and shove a bit of push and shove and then it happens so you know the film is effectively ramping up to the up to the final moment so um so i think if you break it up it um it does it does suffer um but it's not that long, so it's fine. It's um, but yeah, I thought somebody might be interested in that. Um, <laughs> so going to Kevin Garnett, let's talk about him for for a bit. I I was wondering, does the nature of basketball as a sport, there's relatively few players, there's so many people watching you. You have to play a character. You have to, even when you don't have the ball, I wonder whether it translates to acting a little easier than football or, or other Sports because I thought he came across as a really really natural actor. Um, apparently he really worked on it. Apparently he really um, you know wanted to get it right. But I wonder whether you know all those characters because there's been some other really good basketball players in 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 movies even 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 recently. It wasn't a film that had you know. It worked for me on a lot of levels, but Trainwreck was notable by how good LeBron is. Yes, uh, in in as as a as a friend character, I thought he was really great, and I wonder whether it it, it translates over. He, he did such a great job, even down to the idea that they wrote in that he was bending down on the counter, but he's obviously bending down. Because they need to get him and Adam Sandler in the same shot. Yeah, Safties are really tight, so to get them there, so he, they they're giving him this um, habit of leaning. And Howard's even going, don't lean on it; it's going to break. But it's another ramping up of anxiety because when it smashes, it it was done for the movie, and it was it had to be there. And then, but then he's like, oh no, that's a sign. That's a sign that the gem is working. I just I thought it worked on some really cool levels. Yeah, on many and,
1: levels. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, and it. Uh, to be honest, I think it's a natural instinct for a man of his height anyway to stoop down. So while he's being told not to lean on the glass, he's not doing it to be difficult. He's doing it because he has to. So I like the idea that the practicality of the setup mm. necessitated that mm. move as well. And Mother also, it as mentioned. you say, because the Safties really do like their claustrophobia. They really do. Um, and, and his... His diamond store is incredibly small and claustrophobic with his mm. security doors. And when you suddenly got like a six foot five, six foot six basketball player, mm. his gigantic entourage of gigantic men, <laughs> you know, there as well, it's it's going to feel more cramped and more enclosed. And, and yeah, ultimately it, it had to happen. You don't warn someone four times in a film because that would be a massive betrayal of the whole... Chekhov's gun dynamic, you know, if a guy is leaning on glass he's told not to do it. The glass has to <laughs> glass break.
0: Has to break. Yeah, they, they they do play by the rules every now and then. Um I thought of another couple of um notable performances by basketball players. Um Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is a uh, co-pilot in airplane.
1: Wasn't he also in a Bruce Lee film? He was one of Bruce Lee's um opponents. Oh, was he? I believe in was it Enter the Dragon? <laughs> no, that's not Queen of well. Is it not? No. Somebody big and basketball-y fights Bruce Lee. I'm sure he does. Hang on. Feel free to cut this out if I'm completely 41, wrong. 4131. The Game of Death. He is. He's called Hakim. 1974. The Game of Death.
0: Excellent. There you go. I haven't seen Game of Death, so excellent. Nice
1: memory. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar fights Bruce Lee.
0: We're were starting to get a little sweaty about whether that was right or not? (sighs) Yeah. It definitely wasn't Enter the Dragon, but I have not seen Game of Death, so... uh...
1: Yes, I got the film wrong, but I do distinctly remember that he fought Bruce Lee. Good comeback. Thank you. And I think he ends up, obviously, taking the legs, because what else are you going to do? Well, he's mainly legs. He's mainly legs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And... um, (laughs) uh nineteen eighty four um wilt Chamberlain towered above Arnold Schwarzenegger in conan the the destroyer yeah. Was, um yeah i mean, he 's called bombata or something i think yeah, the the character is really, he's, he's really good though he's you know it's really that that, that period of film to massively segue into Schwarzenegger films the problem of who he would fight was a was a really big big problem and
1: you, they always had to find people who could realistically... There's one of my bugbears with action films is when the big bad is... He's got a henchman who's clearly the, the equal of the uh, yeah. the protagonist. Then he gets defeated, and then there's got to be some sense of tension when they fight the baddie. And then suddenly the baddie's like really cunning and really good at fighting, when yeah. absolutely... No, it would just be a foregone conclusion and they'd die in a second. Yeah. I hate when films play with that. But yeah, I did like it, especially during the era of commando, um, like mm. running man, where he was just met with a series of people yeah. uh, who could feasibly take on mm. Arnie. Uh, yeah, that they were having to find these non-actors and other freaks of nature who could be considered to be worthy rivals uh, yeah. of, of Arnie. Yeah. Yeah,
0: um, I thought the only exception to that was during his golden period was um, Total Recall. They don't really feel the need to... um, Is it Michael Ironside? It's not really a...
1: Yeah, it's a very different... Yeah,
0: obviously a different... Rivalry. Rivalry, yeah. 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 um,
1: And um, even the the guy who played the Predator was mm, a big brick shithouse, wasn't he? Yeah. no, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Oh,
0: um, Michael Jordan in Space Jam. <laughs> Jordan, and uh, <laughs> upcoming LeBron
1: will be yeah, in, in the uh, sequel.
0: Yeah. What, what's that going to be like, I wonder?
1: <laughs> Probably as good as the first one. Probably as good as... Well, that's
0: a good... You know, it's a, a nice high bar to, to aim for. Mm. Um, so let's get to the women in his life after the basketball players his his second love the the women in his life yes um, we've already talked about Julia Fox i think i think she was she was really great um she was a real enabler of his of his behavior um they were really bad for each other they were it, it was it was a bad relationship but
1: you know they were attracted to each you know it, you believed in it he but, he um, basi- he basically met his equal someone who was willing to give yeah. as good as Mm. As he gave yeah, in, yeah. The, when they have these screaming matches the screaming match outside the club for example oh it's brilliant this club scene is excellent it's 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 tough for certain people to watch I think um, for example if you're a big fan of it's always in sunny in Philadelphia it's always sunny in Philadelphia right I don't think this movie would have really registered with you but I think for a lot of people who find that ongoing sort of shrill shrieking at each other dynamic really grating mm. scenes like that. I think certain types of people found really repellent, mm. really hard to watch. But uh, from a character standpoint, I like that it showed her as uh, strong mm. and not sort of cowering mm. to his his paranoia. Yeah, their reconciliation is is, is really well done over yeah. the,
0: over the next few scenes. But also, just to go back to that to that club scene for a second, that I just thought the lighting was brilliant. The the, the idea, of obviously, using UV. Having like Heath Stanfield's character wear this big orange hoodie that, that was that was, great. That was great we haven't even got on to him yet no. he's, um, he's he's such a cool character um but you know her top, her white top in mm-hmm. the u v light, and that shot of you know uh, you know the weekend, I thought it worked really well, but I thought it it did have a real resonance. I'm thinking back to what Megan was saying, why was the weekend in this film? I don't know whether it's maybe more pitched at. Older guys that we can just represent, sort of even from how he spells his name, represents something that I just I just don't understand, young people, you know, and I just think maybe that's trying to distill that moment down that, well,
1: you, As you said before, it was a, it was a burgeoning scene in mm. in New York at the time. Yeah. And he's the previous generation. Mm. The whole scene is completely alien to him, but his business has benefited yeah. from their desire for for wearing yeah. gaudy ridiculous jewelry yeah absolutely I mean, shout out to the Michael Jackson on a crucifix <laughs>
0: the Furby I mean the Furby, yeah, the Furby is wonderful. brilliant it's, it's it's done really well even even down to the the basketball rings I, I knew that yeah. there were there were base Ball ones. and yes. Basketball ones. They're sort of rounder, aren't they? They're really, really interesting, like, objects. I thought they were really cool. And, and really almost, they're
1: almost all ironic statement pieces, mm. aren't they? Like, yeah. they're all horrific, and everyone knows that they're terrible.
0: Well, the gem itself, the gem itself... I, I, I don't know whether everybody else had this kind of read of it. It, it wasn't that beautiful to me obviously they go into the trippy visuals going inside and which coincidentally reminded me of um i don't know how much of a star trek fan you are but the um the uh, genesis project thing i've brought this up before it's um just a bit of computer animation that they use and that it really reminds me of the way it flies through the gem it was
1: it was it was done really well Um, i I think that was it it was it was that it had more of a an entrancing property to it. So it wasn't like anything else that he sold in his shop, Mm. which was very sort of typical, you know, fugly jewellery that was just studded with diamonds or Swarovskis or whatever. This was something that had been mined and was pure. And that the colours within it were unlike anything he'd seen before. Mm. It was, again toying with the convention of what's desirable and what's beautiful and he saw something beyond the surface that clearly spoke to him on a very, very deep level and what I liked is they injected an element of almost cod mysticism into his relationship with the stone Mm. where um, Howard identifies very quickly that this is a genuine totem almost a muse for Kevin in terms of his performance uh, on the court and that when he when he gets it psychologically he feels despite the fact he's supposed to be past his prime at that point, he feels somehow re-energized by by this this gem. And then you see his drop in form and the psychological impact it has when it's taken away from him. So that mm. when he reintroduces it to him, he also then uses that additional almost negging technique yeah. of going, look at what the bookies are saying yeah, about yeah, you. They're yeah. saying you're a has-been who's going to do nothing. You're going to fucking let them get away with that yeah. and really psychs him up. And he's so confident in it, in his ability to G up uh, Garnet that, it, it's successful mm. um yeah i just i thought that was that was another interesting element where it was like well is, is it all in the mind or does did he really have this spiritual connection with this stone you know taken from the earth and 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 raw as anything completely untreated and pure and not subject to the 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 refinements and ultimately i guess the debasement of it of of the other jewels that were in his shop, because you've got these things that have spent millions and millions of years, um, you know, being crushed mm. and formed into diamonds, only for some fucking idiot to then stud a Furby with it. Whereas this was pure, yeah. Yeah, untouched, yeah. uncut, uh, and uncut and of nature, mm. and it's yeah.
0: So oh, speaking of gems and precious metals. How would you like to take part in my Gems and Precious Metals movie quiz? <laughs> it's mid-discussion quiz time, It's everybody. mid-discussion um, quiz time! Um, would you like to I need your consent. It's GDPR.
1: Oh, right, yes. I, uh, okay. As long as you don't share my details with any third parties or serve me advertising related to Gems and other Precious Metals.
0: The format of this quiz is, there is a movie... Contained within the title of that movie is A Gem or Precious Metal.
1: Yeah. I'm
0: going to give you the synopsis of the film, but oh, 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 I went and did the translation into Russian and then from back Russian to back into English. So just it just makes it a little bit more difficult. Oh, Let's it. start easy. Um, and what I'll do is we'll do two points if you get it right off the bat. Um, one point if you need a little clue. All right. Yeah. So, the blacksmith joined forces with pirate colonel in an attempt to release his love for life from his fellow Jack.
1: Is it Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl? Exactly
0: right. Right. Straight off the bat. There you go. Make sure you keep your own points, by the way. Two. 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 <laughs> Famous archaeologist and explorer teams up with a young man to uncover the mystery of legendary Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Two. Again, well done. So
1: that's four total.
0: This one is um, the clue is in the synopsis. So that will be replaced with redacted. So, so, So watch out for that. Redacted uncovers diamond smuggling plot, posing as Peter Frank. He also has to deal with old rivals who want to make huge lasers. Um, Redacted? James Bond. Is it Diamonds Are Forever? Exactly right. That's one point. Oh, yeah, that was the clue. Yes, unredacting redacted. Is a, uh, is a clue, kind of a clue. Yeah. when a prominent art dealer is found murdered, this person's death leads to an intriguing investigation into sex, corruption and crime oh, give me a clue the main actor is David Caruso Ooh, uh, no, pass pass, it's Jade sure <laughs> you don't know the, no, maybe okay an adventurous couple goes to the middle east and is drawn into the machinations of a crazy sheik starring uh one of the uh one of the adventurous couple yeah, so your clue can be who is uh plays one of the couple so do you want the man or the lady uh give me the
1: man michael douglas oh is it um romancing the stone but is it that series Mm. It's like Jewel of the Nile. Jewel it? of the Nile. Yeah. That's one point.
0: How are you doing here? Should we have a little mid, uh, mid, mid quiz? How, how what's your score?
1: I'm uh, um, six. Six. Oh, that's not too bad. Six of a possible uh, ten.
0: Uh, so this next one, ready? Solomon is kidnapped and forced to work in the mine where he finds a priceless diamond and hides it. When Danny finds out about this, he promises to help him find his family in exchange for a
1: redacted. Oh. I thought it was King Solomon's Mines, but it's not. No. All the words were there anyway. (laughs) You going for the clue? It's not Blood
0: Diamond, is it? It is Blood Diamond. Well done. Griette gets closer and closer as a maid in the house of painter Johannes Vermeer. Later, she becomes the face of Johanna's most prolific artwork, where she took photos with Redacted.
1: Oh, this is like the prismatic photos, is it? Oh that's not a jewel, but isn't that the... No. No?
0: In the house of it, he's a painter. No, I'll pass. You, you don't want the clue? Oh, I, oh no, yeah, I love the clue. <laughs> don't give up, <laughs> Dan. Don't give up. <laughs> Um, it stars Scarlett Johansson oh the girl with the pearl earring it is right well done mm. the cruel retiree Norman and his reconciling wife Ethel spend the summer in a New England holiday home alongside Redacted <laughs> this year their adult daughter took their fiance and teenage son to Europe remember it is a movie with yeah Gem or a precious metal.
1: Um, Clue.
0: Um, A beautiful pond. You give up? This is your first. To be your first one. It's on Golden Pond. Oh fuck! Was that a tough
1: one? Not too tough. Yeah, I don't know the synopsis of that film. So well, it is also in
0: Russian and back into English. Yeah, so it meant even less to me. A Russian man provided valuable information to the United States. CIA agent Michael Nordstrom teamed up with a French spy to investigate his allegations. I feel like I should know that. It's a real Marmite wine either you will or you won't. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, Give me a clue. Uh, It's directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Oh God. It's definitely one of the lesser knowns. That's it. That's all my clues.
1: No, this is just dead air. This is bad podcast. (laughs) Uh, I'm just going to pass. No, it's
0: um, Topaz. I have. Yeah.
1: Final one. Mm -hmm.
0: Don't be disheartened. I am. Um, Pat was sent to a psychiatric hospital after brutally beating his wife's lover. Walked out of the centre eight months later and met Tiffany in an attempt to remedy with his wife. (laughs) It does just change things just
1: slightly so it's, it sounds like you're going a bit insane yeah it it really yeah'm I'm, I'm so busy trying to decipher what the fucking plot is that i i, I can't even do you want it one more time consider the now someone went to a psychiatric hospital for eight months for beating his partner and then got let out and met tiffany apparently mm. um i i th- i know exactly what this film is
0: oh, give me
1: a clue um, you can
0: either have the uh, man or the woman in this one. I'll have the woman,
1: um, Jennifer Lawrence. Oh God! It's um, yeah, because it's this the it's the guy that directed the mm-hmm. remake of the Thing and his Rocket Raccoon and
0: oh, I can't really help you anymore. No, I know, I know,
1: I know. I've seen it. For some reason, and I know it's not that, I can't get the fucking name Steel Magnolias out of my head. Oh, yeah, close. I know. It, it's 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 in that. That was another clue. It's in that ballpark. Mm. I know, but um, no, I'll have to. You're gonna kick yourself. No, I am. The thing is, it's got to the point now where I feel so. Under pressure, that <laughs> like I can't remember the name of the very handsome, famous actor that Jennifer Lawrence stars opposite <laughs> in it. I keep, I've, I've got the name Bennett in my head, probably because we we're talking about Commando earlier. So I've got Bennett in Steel Magnolias when I know it's none of those things. Um, Silver Linings Playbook. Yes. Well Fucking done. Hell.
0: <laughs> Where did that come I from? I don't know. That was from the deep. That was from that the was fucking deep. That was deep, deep memory.
1: What's the name of the actor? Well done, Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. Fuck's sake! <laughs> of course, it was Bradley Walsh. Bradley Walsh. <laughs> Bradley Walsh stars opposite Jennifer Lawrence.
0: <laughs> oh, that was good. That was a good one. What was your What was your final Straight score? Straight
1: down the middle. Ten. Ten. Well, there you go. It's not bad. Fifty percent in and an some exam. Of them...
0: it's low C, isn't it? I will say I did struggle to get to ten.
1: I don't know why. But yeah, I'm sure there are loads. Um,
0: uh,
1: I'm, I'm actually quite happy I managed 10 on that. Yeah, I uh, thought you did
0: really well. There's only a few, maybe two. A few that I just like, flat out yeah. didn't
1: know. And then, um, yeah, I'm so happy I pulled that last one out. Yeah, that was great. Excellent. I'm more um, upset that I
0: couldn't remember Bradley Cooper's name. <laughs> bless him, Bradley. Um, let's get back on track. Let's bring... Chris Schilling in to sort us out. Ah, Chris. Uncut Gems, then. Released on Brexit Day, which could hardly be more fitting for a story about a man who makes a succession of bad, risky choices. (laughs) Keeping faith against the odds that they will make his life better, yet ultimately leading to his ruin. After Good Time, it's another stressful watch, though this time the anxiety spikes, like the stuck door, the uh, last and pretty much the last half hour in its entirety, are even sharper, leaving you feeling almost drained by the end of it. As with Pattinson in Good Time, the Safties get a fantastic lead performance. I think Sandler is less likeable, Pattinson was a scuzzy thug, but his relationship with his brother suggested his heart was sort of in the right place. But as Howard, he's magnetic to watch, even as he makes even more ex- exasperatingly stupid and dangerous choices. Huge credit to the supporting cast, too. Julia Fox has rightly had a lot of praise, but I enjoyed Adina Menzel's Silent Seething. There's a tangible contempt in her eyes when she looks at Howard. And weirdly, you almost get something similar from Lakeith Stanfield as well. Yeah. And Kevin Garnett, the best as-themselves performance ever. (laughs) I think it has a more exhilarating ending than Good Time, though there's a relative lack of warmth that might make some people bounce off it, and the constant barrage of noise at times feels just slightly overbearing. But it really does bring you into that gaudy, flashy world of The Diamond District, there aren't many films I've seen lately that capture um, that immerse you so fully in an urban environment the way this does. Some critics have suggested this is definitely a better film than Good Time, but I think there's very little between them. Admittedly, I haven't rewatched the latter for a while, so I'm looking forward to rewatching it. I think maybe if you've seen it first, then Uncut Gems' brilliance won't be quite so surprising.
1: Yes, I think I think that definitely plays into it. This could end up being a lot of people's gateway drug as far as the safeties. Are concerned, mm. um, there's still a lot of people who haven't watched Good Time, despite me saying frequently, You, sh- you should really watch Good Time. We did a 90 Who's in minute it? podcast, oh, yeah. Oh, Robert Pattinson, um, uh, mm. like, tends shut to be up. the yeah, watch the, the movie. The response, Good Time is thank you, Chris, by the way. Yeah, um, Good, Good Time is a film that I could see myself going back to. Mm. Uncut Gems to me feels like though one of those one and done films. There are certain films you watch where you go, I'm really happy I watched that. <laughs> I just don't know if I would ever subject myself to. Yeah, no, that's everything. really
0: interesting. Um, and it's quite funny. Um, like, I listened back to our Good Time uh, podcast this week, and I compared. Um, good time to sort of taking speed the idea is quite dirty and cheap and yeah, and you you have that sort of greasy feeling um is this, cocaine this the is film? cocaine this is cocaine the film you think that you're the best it takes all of these um intentions that you have and just really ramps them up this is genuinely again and making a comparison to to scorsese who was the director of our last film who is Probably did one of the finest um, sweeping cuts from a line of cocaine into an airplane taking off. Um, this is that over a whole film. I think you know just the the feeling that you have, and it, you know it, it was it was really interesting. And again, very little actual drug taking, nudity. You know in the actual film itself it's just all again alluded to they they, they make the world so dense you, you're imagining these encounters and these things happening you know the only thing coming close to a sort of sex scene is through the uh, a long angled um, lens through how the wardrobe say, with
1: a sexy text exchange
0: from the you know but when they do actually when they're on the sofa together it's from like a long lens outside of oh, the oh sorry yes when you're yeah. yes it fades away like we're now the paparazzi or we're something we're very far away from it it's just it, it it's done really well i really love how they play with with those things They it, they could have gone cheap they could have had uh, like a sex scene and in the toilet with uh, the weekend and still kept the story on track um but it didn't need it, it no yeah, it was really important that it didn't happen and 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 those choices are what i find really special about about these guys you know the decisions they're making
1: a lot of a lot of directors tend to justify their sex scenes by saying oh it reveals something mm. about the characters i don't think in this case it would have served any purpose whatsoever no. the build up to the sex was a was a great indicator of the nature of their relationship yeah and also the implied you know weekend with a massive lob on through his trousers <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> how are you this hard
1: right now? yeah yeah and Julia sort of resisting mm, yeah. it quite quite, i really
0: i really like i really like that scene to go to, to go back from it the idea when she's out when she's arguing with him she says to him um you knew about this when you met me you know the idea that she is you know not a prostitute but these things are all about getting the sale about selling the lifestyle in and bringing these people in finally to back to buy jewelry bringing Mm -hmm. it all back round. And that was just her way of doing it. Um, it drew a parallel for me, um, Sharon Stone in casino. Again, the idea that she was very good at working the room and she expected to get paid and she paid everyone else. She, she was really like part of the infrastructure of that place um, and I I thought that was done really well. But to bring us back to um Adina Menzel, yeah. I, I just want to spend some time talking about her. Or um did you see the um uh, John Travolta um mispronounce her name? No. Um it's really amazing. It's um I and get everyone to, to, to Google it. Um he is reading her name from an auto cue. He's doing a, a segment, and you can see that he's maybe doesn't have his glasses on or something, and he just cannot get. The same. Is this in
1: relation to Frozen or something? Yeah, yeah,
0: something like that. Something like old oh, best song, or she's about to sing something for her. He yeah. Is.
1: So for those who don't know, Idina Menzel is the voice of Elsa yes, in, yeah. in Frozen. Yeah, yeah. It's it really, really crazy. Spoken it? and sung.
0: and spoken. She and has then, a set of pipes on her. Um, uh, yeah, and so he's he's completely fluffing it and he calls her uh Adela Dazine. So <laughs> uh, yeah, he, I, I, I everybody just look it up. It's it, it's really good.
1: But Adela Dazine It sounds her. like two or three names and I can't put my finger in it. It sounds like someone having a stroke trying to say Avril Levine. <laughs> it's really it is
0: really amazing. Um uh but her tone poise vibe uh, just how she just how she carried herself the power that she brought to the role that her age just the particular place that she is you know even again the idea of playing against type you know she is Elsa you know she has all her other so many of her credits are taken up with the video game the appearance the thing the short thing you know she's been living that life like the idea of her character has been living this you know regular Jewish wife you know but has now been thrown into a totally different situation she's just trying to figure it out and she found a foothold and we're watching that kind of live you know Howard opens himself up to her and goes look is there no chance you'll take me back is there no anything and she just cold looks him in the eyes and just like I hate you you are so
1: fucking yeah
0: she almost speaks for the audience at that point she is us and does it so well and really like again you're Sunler and his star power is an anchor of the film without it we would be all over the place we would be absolutely all over the place um but his star power helps howard never descend in, into that but her presence and power alongside his is done in such a way that they're like opposing magnets and it just it creates this energy when they're together it's really great
1: What's interesting is that, I guess, because of the association of her and Elsa, she is just another example of the Safdies taking someone that we already have expectations of, as they did with Pattinson, as they did with Sandler. And That's then, you know, got someone who was this literally pure snow Disney character mm. and her reputation, uh, her star has ascended purely as pretty much as a result of of that film uh and then puts her completely against that type and Mm. shows that she's way more she got chops than that yeah Mm. adam sandler is way more than the creator of numerous terrible comedies
0: Mm. um there's another bit that she does uh, later on after that scene she's in the car And Howard obviously gets himself into a bit of bother where he has to go back to the apartment. Yeah. And the look on her face when she realises she's loving it. She absolutely revels in the awkwardness of the situation. She wants to tell the kids. She wants to move on. He is the one that's keeping them in this relationship limbo. And she's just like absolutely enjoying every second of it. And I thought it was great. She sat back in her chair messing with her phone. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I really, I, I thought her performance was great. And again, I think best supporting I think it would have been good to you know like really really
1: see her recognized you know a lot more. Um one question I was surprised didn't come from your colleague earlier about baffling inclusions in the film. Mm. Were was the bizarre grey-haired man um who claims that Howard owes him 30,000 oh, pounds and he brings his strange brother presumably did you like, bring did you bring some
0: heavies and he's yeah. like yeah
1: <laughs> it's really good that bit is great i'm glad you brought him up he's great um you know. and you see him later down when um when uh, julia's trying to get out of the building and he suddenly goes the watch is a fake yeah. and, it's, and it's one of um Lakeith stanfield's characters um Well, it it, it,
0: it all feels like they work on levels. So there's levels of intensity and levels of commitment that Howers has made in town. You really feel like he's been playing everyone for years and years. And there's some guys he owes money to that he's never going to pay them back. Some that he will get round to it. And it feels like him and the other guy that is the owner of the Michael Jackson... Yes. Kind of thing, who he meets in the club, uh, again, that helped get him in. Yeah, it's that's like- that's so
1: well done as well, because you think, oh, it's something from his shop, and he's yeah. just kind of pawing that away. Mm. And then when that's introduced further down the line, you're like, oh, my God, how deep does this fucking rabbit yeah. hole go? I will tell you what, though, the strange grey-haired guy, he was the guy I had um, his, his death pinned on. Ah, Because right. I it thought was be he was a- so bumbling and useless in the early stage of the film that when he reappeared as Julia was trying to get out yeah. I thought the heavies with Arno and all that were the red herring and that suddenly he was going to be the one to just sort of wander in with a gun and kind of clumsily do it because he'd almost had his um, almost had his manhood challenged too many times yeah, and he it was, was just, that idea in, of, wasn't he, just like- and idea and it just struck me that that was the kind of random Almost Cohen-esque, you know the way the Coens like to do a, a death out of nowhere. Hmm. They love, they love that like slightly jovial t- tone to the film, and then bang, yeah. like burn after reading the way that yeah. Brad Pitt's like dispensed with, for example. Um, I'm and sorry I thought, for uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, if that's a spoiler. It's been out for fucking ages. Deal with it. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there is a moratorium on spoilers, yeah. I think, on films, and uh, yeah, I think that film's over, over a decade old. So fair enough. Fair fine, enough. Yeah. Sorry to derail you. Sorry. Um, yeah. So I actually had him pinned as uh, very an, an unexpected. Well,
0: then he has to be filed back in the my original list, right at the start of you know places where anxiety comes from that yeah. they subvert, you know, yeah. in in
1: in a great way. Um, and yeah. And sorry, um, and yeah, we we touched on him, but Lakeith Stanfield, he sort of fades from view in the latter half of the film. I find.
0: Well, I think um, Chris really hit on a on a really interesting point that Lakeith Stanfield is pretty much at his whipped end with Howard now. Yes, like he's figured out about the watches, he's brought in a high roller to it, and he's already gone against him about the watches. Um, for whatever reason and I think that he's looking for a way out anyway and the club is probably the last straw yes. you don't disrespect me and he says it quite often he's really really clear about it he's like this is not who I am I deserve respect watch who you're talking to and you know I think he he holds it with a real a real poise and obviously
1: he is on a real hot street right now oh he, my god you know, man like that, Often, his appearance in something just fills me with confidence. Just to do a quick list of things I've seen him in recently, including (laughs) uh, Uncut Gems. Knives Out, which I thought was fantastic. Um, Atlanta, which is a, a great series... Um, and he's also the protagonist of the of my favorite episode of Atlanta, which is Teddy Perkins, right, which is just an incredible piece of TV. If you've mm-hmm. never seen it. I showed that to my wife who'd never watched any of Atlanta. I said, mm-hmm. don't worry. you don't need to know anything about the show to just enjoy this episode in isolation. It's It's a pure brilliant piece of strange gothic comedy. It's incredible. Um, sorry to bother you. Yeah, fantastic. Um, film about anti-consumerism with an absolutely fucking batshit twist towards the end. It's crazy, isn't it? Crazy. If you say you saw what was going to happen in that film coming, <laughs> you should be sectioned. You are also quite possibly a liar. Yes.
0: Uh, get out. Yep. Yeah, he's great in that. His, um, his poise in that is is really important to the story. And again, the idea of subverting cliches in modern cinema or indie cinema or however you want to say it. It's not indie anymore. It's hu- it's huge. Um, Jordan Peele's stuff, I think, definitely does a similar idea of looking. Even their comedy work t- is taking cliches and giving you a spin yeah. on it in a, in, in a really cool way. I mean, obviously, that's the basis of a lot of comedy. But in, in particular, I, I you know, Lakeith connects that thread and, you know... 100%. Yep.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. And he was snooping straight out of Compton. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also a, a film that well, the, his debut, which was a great film, was um, uh, Short Term Twelve, which oh, right, is a yeah. Brie Larson. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Film yeah. as well. But yeah. Um, of course. Quite a young Lakeith mm. in that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a I'm a huge huge fan of his. He's got a certain sort of laconic charm. He he's, he's a natural mumbler. he, he never really. Changes that delivery across his films. Um, I'm I'm often grateful that my wife needs subtitles. <laughs> uh, and and again to other people's points about getting lost in the in the plot. Maybe yeah. Always put the subs on.
0: Yeah. One of, one of the earliest sort of memes that were shared about this film was, have you seen it? It's a still from the movie uh, from Inside His Shop and it's got subtitles, but the subtitles start at the top and go all the way to the bottom <laughs> and they're all in random points all around the screen just because it's like one person over here talking one person over there. It's really funny.
1: Um, and yeah it's it, very apt. yeah i mean to 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 the point about the james's point about the sound mixing mm. the subtitles uh, almost do the job of the sound mixer and that they isolate the the critical the critical dialogue yeah so it's almost like you you can absorb the the noise but still keep track of things because you can at least read what the the main thrust of the conversation mm. is in the scene
0: yeah, it's um, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, and 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 obviously it's a very very good film. Um, and I, I, I've been I've been I've been thinking about this in in the back of my mind. Every podcast that talks about Uncut Gems is going to bang on about Adam Sandler. Should we just not? Like, he's great. He's it's his best thing since uh, since um, Punch Drunk Love. I think it's been covered by yeah.
1: the contributors' comments. To be honest, I I absolutely share their opinions yeah. of him. Um, I I do think it, with regard to his comedy work, what people largely have to understand about him is that he knows precisely the audience that he's creating that content mm. for. It just so happens to his his lighthouse has switched towards us for a movie. Yeah, you know, yeah, and he, it, he's he's very. Talented at making sometimes he has his flashes, even in the comic world. I think his early comedies, the Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, were actually not bad. Mm. Um, and he's just made a, a career of sort of playing variations of, of those characters throughout. Um, but through his work with PTA and through his work with the Safties, we also hear that he's also a very selfless. Actor mm. who's willing to put that ego aside when necessary and allow other people to tell him what they want from him, um, and he brings the, what they've been able to do is is temper the the natural inclinations of of Sandler's performance, the the things that he leans on, which is often the shoutiness, Mm. and turning that into uh, a strength of his. Mm. In this film, it's more the barrage and that he's able to maintain this fury Mm. and this manic energy throughout. And with Punch Drunk Love, it was the repression of that aspect of Sandler's comedy that everyone expects from him and making him play... Such a reserved character for the majority of the film, so that when he has these explosions, they're far more shocking and unexpected. Um, even though it's largely the same behaviour he's demonstrated across all his comedies, and it actually comes across as quite dark and hmm. scary instead. Yeah. So yeah, I think I, I think as long as he periodically allows talented directors who understand what makes him. Mm. A great acting talent. Yeah, make good choices. Make good choices, and that's all we'll say on him.
0: Um, the, the only thing I, I, I will add, just at the end, is he sounded a bit like that uh, like Gilbert. Is it Godfrey? Gilbert oh, Godfrey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gilbert Godfrey. When he was really shouting at that top register yep. uh, on a second watch, it really struck me how much um, you know that uh, his delivery. Took him into that, like, and made Howard this kind of you know really hyper character. Yeah. You yeah. Know, what's more hyper than than that sort of vocal
1: delivery? It, it, you know, I think it was a. It's all in the mix there. If If you've never seen it, check out a sketch which is, um it's the audio book of Fifty Shades of Grey, but narrated by Gilbert Carfry. <laughs> It writes itself. Oh, yeah, it's perfect. It writes itself. Yeah, it's very said, good. Enough said. It's so, yeah. Um, and
0: so, to go to our review thumbs, I think it's
1: going to be another McCartney.
0: Very it's good. A, it's
1: definitely McCartney. Um, yes. Trembling with adrenaline.
0: And uh, and uh, not from Megan, but I think, well uh, No,
1: but I, I, like, I like counterpoints. Yeah. I like hearing other perspectives. I don't... Interestingly, even though I... One of the things we try not to do with this uh, series is do too much looking at other reviews and looking too much at other, you know, info before we dive in uh, to to the conversation. But one thing I do like to check sometimes is how the critic score weighs up against the audience Mm. score. Now, sometimes with blockbusters, you know that's because of review bombing and and people just generally being spiteful and trying to you know skew the score negatively because they've got a grudge against it naming their names but um there really was um a, a, a division right between this rated incredibly highly with the critics and i believe on rotten tomatoes the audience score was something like 51 percent wow that's really it's that, it's down yeah. the middle. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. literally down the middle. Either you go with him or, or you don't. I guess. Yeah, um, this is this is such a marmite film, and I'm surprised that more people uh, didn't didn't buy into that. N- Interestingly, like every man who's written in has said they appreciated that energy, and every woman, Mandy included, mm. I know who's seen it has gone fucking hell. That's a nightmare to watch. Mm. Although that said, my colleagues at work um who aren't fans of It's Always Sunny said mm. oh god if you if you can't put up with 20 minutes of Charlie Day yeah. screaming then uncut gems is like a 2 hour episode of It's Always Sunny but without the comedy
0: yeah i i, I one of my own, um first notes on this was is there a gender split with the appeal of this film um i think yeah uh, my wife definitely had very similar similar thoughts about it, just basically for the fact you know, the well, idea, similar
1: thoughts to you or to no no
0: no uh, d- to explain it you know the idea of a horror is to make you frightened this is a new genre an, an anxiety kind of film to make you anxious, and she just didn't want to be made to feel anxious again no you know when when I wanted to rewatch it she again just went, <laughs> went to bed like well, you well, want
1: carry on fine interestingly, and, uh, it's there's, But there's a perverse pleasure, isn't there, with, with horror. When you watch your first horrors as a child, it's very rarely that you go, oh, this was fantastic. Mm. You go, oh, my God, I'm terrified. I'm having nightmares, and I'm not going to stop dreaming about Freddy Krueger for yeah. the next five years. But ultimately, that turns into a, a fascination and ultimately a love. So I'd be interested to know, in the long term what the residual effects are of watching films like this yeah. and whether because it's very difficult these days for horror films to generate the sense of fear and dread that they used to because overall we're we're quite savvy and it's a lot harder to shock us mm. that sometimes films now have to push these other buttons to get to draw these unpleasant sensations out of us at the time being but there's always that associated Thrill mm. alongside it as well as, as again to go back to the water slide analogy that you opened with, there is that inevitability to yeah. it, but there's also the moment you hit the water, you want to go back to the top and mm. do it again, yeah, yeah, completely excellent,
0: excellent stuff. Um, so a McCartney from us, maybe not from others, um, but that's fine, isn't it? All part of what's the opposite? A McShartney, a McShartney, exactly. <laughs> nothing's quite earned that yet um so i thought that we would move on to a few recommendations a few things that we're um that we're watching or that we'd like to uh to talk about um i'm gonna go first um i've well, mine's more of a project and a recommendation Oh, okay in preparation for picard I have been going back and um, Variety did an article about the certain shows that you should watch in preparation for Picard. And um, I haven't seen them since, you know, for, for years and years. So I've been going back and watching some of those and they're all on Netflix now. And it's actually quite an interesting journey, you know, in the lead up to, you know, if you like, Patrick Stewart. It's obviously, you know, some of his, you know, you know best work.
1: But, you know... It, so is this list presented chronologically as well yes, so yeah yeah so it
0: starts off starts at operation at far point which is what the, the 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 first episode through to uh you know when he's Sort of taken over by the Borg and you know his reaction to that is actually a great episode he goes back to uh he goes back to France and just hangs out with his brother there's no space you know in it at all he's just walking around fields for a whole episode and it's brilliant it's really good and really great work from from Patrick Stewart and um yeah leading up to them I'm not done yet um but uh, only, uh, as we're recording this is only like two episodes are up on Amazon and I yes. do I do like to have them all I I understand everyone's kind of going back to liking episodes again now but I can do my own I can you know meter it out to myself (laughs) thank you very much um so I've been doing that and also this weekend um a lot of the Studio Ghibli stuff um came on Netflix and for the first time I've got some real holes in my thing I won't I won't be afraid to admit a lot of people lie about how many of these films they've seen they, oh, they, me too I've got huge ones they haven't been um, very widely available and they've been they're quite expensive to buy on Blu-ray mm. so um, I'd never seen Porco Rosso um, so I watched that with my kids and I absolutely loved it it's connected to the. how did your kids take it to it they, they, they liked it you know Michael Keaton is as, as, as the guy they really keyed into him. They really liked his voice, and they were already doing impressions of him.
1: There are some really. Well, um, I've, not, I've not listened to the Keaton dub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, I saw it a long time ago because um, there were earlier dubs of several films. Castle in the Sky. There was a sort of bastardized version of it right. that came out. Totoro. I watched when it was uh, owned before. I believe Disney handled distribution mm-hmm. or oh, Miramax. I think, uh, handle distribution. And Porco Rosso, I watched an earlier dub of as well. So I've not watched it since they brought. Celeb voices in. Yeah. I think I think the Totoro dub, the contemporary one, is fantastic. With I think it's Dakota and yes, Elle Fanning doing is, the two yeah. sisters. It is um, brilliant yeah. work.
0: Really great work.
1: The, the, yeah. And 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 I think the natural sisterly dynamic mm-hmm. really comes through in it. So it's I think th- I think it's wonderfully done. Um, so yeah, I'll have to check out. Keaton yeah, yeah. So also. he's
0: doing. He's basically doing his Batman voice. So he's <laughs> so it he works. It lands so well. Dan awesome. it's really good. And it's beautiful, and it has the connection to the uh, to the wind rises in the planes and the love of planes and building and engines. That's Miyazaki's first yeah. foray into his yeah. personal passion. In, yeah, you know. and obviously ends with you know a, a real delve into, which is another great film. I'm looking forward to watching that again. Um, so yeah, I recommend Paul Carosso. And I was say, what do you reckon about maybe doing one of the um, uh, Studio Ghibli films uh, a little further down the line? They're being um, they're being staggered. Um, so they're not all coming out at once. Um,
1: yes, I think it's like seven. They've got twenty-one. They're doing seven at a time, are mm, they? Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd I'd be open to that actually, because um, there's obviously the ones that you know everyone mm. quotes has seen, but um, the Spirited Away's, Princess Mononoke's, the, the more fantastical Miyazaki mm. ones. But they've got to remember that Shia Ghibli was was largely two discreet studios that were had a real strong internal mm, rivalry. Yeah. There's a great um, documentary um, I'll try and remember the name of it I think it's called The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness I think um, which is I saw it on Amazon Prime The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness so I'm right yeah it's um, I believe it's the creation of Ponyo it's, right. it's documenting Miyazaki at that point Uh, But it also goes into, briefly, into the studio of Isao Takahata, who is um, the other lead, or was the other lead director uh, uh, at Ghibli. He um, passed away fairly recently, but he was Mm. the guy that directed Grave of the Fireflies, which was released as a double bill in Japan alongside Totoro, if you can believe that. Wow this harrowing story of two children like, dying of radiation poisoning post mm. post the Hiroshima mm. bombing in the war um, was shown first. Right. And then Totoro was what's commonly known as the unicorn chaser. So you've got all these sobbing kids. Yeah. And it's like, don't worry. Don't worry,
0: everything's fine. Forest spirits and cat buses. A massive cat bus will come and take you away.
1: He, he, and and Ta- Takahata was often the one who was doing bolder, more interesting things from an artistic standpoint. Mm. So whereas Miyazaki had a fairly consistent style across his films, Takahata used to love to play with the form. Uh, I believe the last film he put out before he passed away was The Tale of the Princess Kaguya, which I hope is part of yeah, this line yeah, That list. might be one that we do, because that that has a, a, a wonderful sort of deceptively sketchy rough style but it's utterly dynamic and kinetic and unlike anything else that Ghibli have put out. Um yeah, so he, he's he's definitely worth. My neighbor's my neighbors the Yamadas is another one he did which I think was based on a a comic strip or a newspaper strip right. and that was more about bringing a sort of watercolor world to life that looks like it was taken from the pages and brought to life in that style as well. So, oh, cool. yeah, I might, I might be interested in us doing something where we're we're exploring the other half of Ghibli, the 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 lesser known, the less popular, the less mainstream face of Ghibli, because I think oh, yeah. that's that's part of what this podcast is ultimately about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's
0: it's about taking the sting out of that horrible time when you're scrolling and scrolling <laughs> through title after title, and if we do nothing else, if we help. One person have a bit more direction in that time because it's just wasted time, and it's you know I, I think it's I think it's uh, a, a good thing. Um, so yeah, um, those are my two recommendations. Um, do you, what have you been watching recently?
1: So I, this might be considered a, a bit of a cheat um, because well it, it can't be a bit. It's either it's a well, it's a bit of a cheat and that it's available on Amazon Prime. Yeah. But you know that they now have these sort of sub-subscriptions. So, uh, like, Shudder for horror, uh-huh. things like that. So, one of the networks they have is Stars, Yeah. And they're showing a, a Hulu show called Rami, which is uh, often written or co-written and starring uh, an American Muslim comedian called Rami Yusuf. hmm If you've watched... Shows like Louis, which I guess we're not allowed to talk about anymore, (laughs) because of what he'd done. But it's very much in that slice-of-life vein with an underlying narrative, but a very fluid continuity that makes lots of assumed leaps between episodes and a lot of what transpires, occurs between episodes that you don't you don't mm. see what's happened. There's just assumed moves right. into new areas of the story. So um it doesn't hold your hand but you doesn't, can not figure it out doesn't use, hold you can use your your intelligence. So, yes. So I love that. It really works well. And and as with Louis, he also hops back to his childhood occasionally. <laughs> um and it's what's really interesting here is obviously as a Muslim living in New Jersey, you see uh, the impact of nine eleven Right from his perspective, from the other side how of the... that affects uh, treatment mm. of, of Muslim people and and their efforts to show no 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 we're we're integrated we're nothing to do with this and mm. and the and the the surrounding paranoia around that. So I guess with Louis you weren't particularly being challenged because what you were seeing was a largely successful forty something white man with two kids and how he was getting on. It was still a good show this is kind of revelatory because it is really showing. Back to your point about the dynamics of um, Howard at Passover, Mm. that's what immediately brought this show to mind. It's like Mm -hmm. you you are seeing inside mosques, you are seeing what happens during Ramadan and Rami is a guy who is trying to rediscover his faith. He's someone who's fallen off the wagon and I think typically with these shows you want to show people who are off it who think oh no this this Islam business is a bit dumb and he's actually trying to reconcile his contemporary American lifestyle with the traditions of the religion and really trying to juggle the parts that he takes umbrage with but still trying to be faithful to it and not betray it right but it's it's still it's still very funny at moments sometimes it is pure drama um, it's it's a it's a great show.
0: Nice. Okay. Cool. Nice. Yeah. A, a little playing with the rules there, but I think it's still It's fine. It's, it's still fine. fine. <laughs> um, excellent. And um, again, thinking about the format of this podcast, I don't know whether we say what film next one we're going to do. I do, I do have an idea, but um, what what, what do you fancy doing? Um, dragged across concrete. We've
1: next. toyed with dragged across dragged across concrete. It's it's another longy I think it's two and a half hours.
0: Let's have a think about it, shall we? We'll have a think. That's
1: tensively dragged across concrete. Now, um, if you know about this film, uh, it comes from the same director as um, Bone Tomahawk. Uh And uh, I want to say Prisoner Cell Block H. That that Vince (laughs) Vaughn one. Brawl in Cell Block uh, 99. The director is S. Craig Zahler. And um, as the title suggests, I think it's yet another uncompromising addition. Now, the reason I might steer clear of this is that it stars Mel Gibson. Um, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> a bit contentious. Yes, okay. Uh, Vince Vaughn returns. Okay. After a real, um, again, very thematically appropriate considering how we've been talking about the stars of Safdie brothers' movies, right. very much playing against type in Broad in Cell Block Ninety Nine. Mm. So curious to see what what he manages with this. We'll see. Don Johnson's in it. Udo Key is in it. Some some good names.
0: Let's um. Let's, so let's we'll put we'll, it in the mix. We'll
1: we'll toy with that. But um. Yeah, I think I'm. Uh, I, I don't want to get into the same pit that we got to when we went on our last sabbatical Mm. which is i think we started overwhelming ourselves with choices and and almost betraying what the goal of the podcast was in the first place and i think we started saying oh should we watch this should we watch this should we watch this rather than just going right this it's this we're going to commit to it so but in this case let's put that on hold and we will we will announce the next film um either through social media or maybe, Alex, you can record a little audio postscript once yeah. we've decided it before we put the episode That in. sounds good. Yeah, yeah, maybe we do. And um, where would they find us on social media, Dan? Well, they would find you yeah. at where? Alex, 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 without the E's. Yeah. And they would find me yes.
0: at Mr. Pointyhead. And please do. And um, and also, I'm going to put about another request. Can everyone just go and review us on iTunes? It really helps. Yeah. Um, Numbers and everything, and getting discoverability, and discoverability, yeah. and want to try and get more people listening. And uh, should yeah. be doing
1: this up front. You know the whole YouTube like and subscribe thing. You sort of meant to say that at the at the top, aren't you? Yeah. Because of drop off.
0: <laughs> what are we are we suggesting that people might have dropped off before now? Yeah. No oh <laughs> everyone is definitely not at the
1: end. Definitely not. Please like and subscribe. I, did, did we mention that we were on Spotify now in the previous episode? We didn't. No. We're on Spotify now. We are on Spotify <laughs> now
0: uh, where all the good kids listen to their hipping and hopping.
1: Yeah. So it's just another possible channel that people can discover us. I don't think you can review on that, can you? No. No. Nine. But I did, the first time I searched for it, we came dead last. And then the second time I searched for it, it was the, it was the top recommendation for that title.
0: Excellent. Well, let's hope that now we'll beat Joe Rogan next week. May the algorithm gods <laughs> smile the, on us. And help us along the way. And um, all that remains is for me to say thank you very much uh, for listening, as always. And thank to, thank you to you, Dan, for being... So incredibly wonderful. <laughs> You're a beautiful, beautiful man. Thank you, you for saying do. that. Uh, bye bye, everyone. Bye bye. Farewell. Please welcome the wickedly talented, one and only. Adele Please welcome the wickedly talented one and only Adele Dazi. Adele Tazzy, Tazzy, Tazzy,